Welcome to Preservation Maryland's PreserveCast. I'm your host, Nick Redding. I'm very excited to welcome you to our very first episode. PreserveCast will be a weekly podcast where I have a conversation with an individual that works within the broader field of historic preservation. Our goal here is to interview a great variety of individuals from across the state of Maryland and beyond about their involvement with historic preservation and how it's accomplished. One topic we plan to cover extensively is the intersection of technology and historic preservation. But perhaps you've downloaded this podcast and aren't sure what historic preservation is, or perhaps you've never even heard of Preservation Maryland, and I want you to know more about what we do. So for this first episode, I sat down with one of our producers, Benjamin Israel, who interviewed me to help answer these questions for our listeners. Here's that interview. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. Hi, this is Nick Redding, Executive Director of Preservation Maryland, and you're listening to the first episode of PreserveCast, a podcast produced by Preservation Maryland, focusing on the intersection of technology and historic preservation, and how technology is changing the way that preservationists work in this country in the 21st century. I'm joined today by one of our producers at PreserveCast, Benjamin Israel. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good. How are you, Nick? Good. And Ben is here today so that he can actually turn the tables, so to speak, and interview me a little bit. So we have an opportunity to talk to you, the listener, about uh, how this podcast is going to work, the goal of the podcast, and uh, who we hope to have on the show over the next year. It's an opportunity for us to sort of tell you about all of our hopes, dreams, visions, goals, and also to tell you a little bit about the organization that's producing it, Preservation Maryland, uh, which has been in existence since 1931. So we're an 85-year-old organization that's producing a podcast. So uh, we are an octogenarian podcast in a sense. Um, So uh, without much further ado, I'm going to kind of turn it over here to Ben, and we're going to make this sort of conversational, which will be a hallmark uh, of the podcast moving forward. This is an opportunity for people to hear about professionals in the field talking about interesting and uh, unique challenges associated with preservation. Isn't that right, Ben? That is correct. Um, And so, Nick, you are a professional in the field. Um, How did you get involved with historic preservation? Where's your... My path to preservation? Yeah. So my path to preservation, uh, I think like a lot of folks, started on my great-grandmother's knee her telling me stories about our Civil War ancestor. And sort of a funny story in the sense that it was always suggested to me that our Civil War ancestor was, and I, you're going to notice I'm, I'm digressing here, but that is also sure. going to be a hallmark of the podcast, I would imagine. It's just the way my brain works. But we, uh, we were always told that, you know, this ancestor, George Trowbridge, was a perfect Civil War hero in every way. And all I had to go off of was an obituary, and the obituary said that um, he enlisted under his mother's maiden name because he was too young to enlist, and so he had to come up with a different name to enlist. And so as a child, that was a great story. And of course, my great-grandmother would tell it and that she remembered this guy, and she was on his knee, and now I'm on her knee, and it, it made history really come to life, and that really is the genesis of it. The reason I give you all that background is fast forward a little bit until I was in um, college. 
And I went and did research at the National Archives and pulled uh, his file, finally found him. Took mm. a while, I say finally, hard to find him because he had enlisted under three different names, was a bounty jumper, had kept taking a, a, a bounty, sort of an enlistment bonus, and then running away after he would get it. And he ended up in prison, and there was an investigation into him. <laughs> the I, I wrote a little story about him, and um, the title that I used came from um, one of the investigations, and they said there was probably no more dangerous or criminal in northern Ohio than this man. So not a so, not a perfect soldier. He wasn't exactly the hero that my dear great grandmother <laughs> had made him out to be. Nonetheless, I, I think in a sense that kind of gives you the full arc of of a preservationist journey, sort of um, realizing the truth and the reality behind things. Mm-hmm. But but sort of the journey and finding those things is part of the fun. So that that story, that history is what got me involved in it. I made trips early on to a lot of historic sites and ended up coming down to the Mid-Atlantic to study uh, history and historic preservation and then landed a job right out of college with the Civil War Trust, which is a battlefield preservation group based out of Washington, D.C. Worked there for a while and I managed a historic site that was uh, designed by Benjamin Latrobe. And then after that, I moved on and have joined the team here at Preservation Maryland, been here for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And what is your role here? What kind of responsibilities do you have? So I am the, the chief cook and, and bottle washer of Preservation Maryland. I am the executive director, which means I do everything from uh, hiring staff, setting uh, sort of the tactics and, and how we're going to get our work done, uh, identifying the priorities and uh you know, helping set up at events. So everything, everything from in between. And uh, also do a lot of advocacy work here Mm -hmm. at Preservation Maryland. I'm a registered lobbyist in the state of Maryland, which sounds like a bad thing. But in reality, it just means that I'm registered with the state and I spend a lot of time in Annapolis working on issues that matter. So obviously, one of your new responsibilities is going to be hosting PreserveCast. And I'm a producer on it, so you know I kind of know what this is, what we're planning to do, but the listener might not. So maybe you could talk more about what the idea behind PreserveCast is. Yeah, so the idea about PreserveCast is we thought that preservation needs to be reaching individuals at every different way that we possibly can. And so we already do a lot of social media, we do print media, we have a great website. You know, we've tried to embrace as much technology and as, as many different forms of media as we possibly can. And podcasts, you know, are sort of the, the next frontier for organizations. I mean, there's been a lot of people, a lot of comedians obviously use podcasts, they're, they're pretty popular. Um, and, you know, radio programs, simulcast a podcast a lot of times. But for nonprofits, they're, they're sort of the, the next step. A lot of nonprofits have not embraced this technology yet. So we thought that preservation needs to have a voice in every medium. And so it made sense for us to try and embrace this as well. So really, it's to, an opportunity to talk about preservation to a different audience and sort of go a little bit more in depth. I mean, when you're writing something, you know, say in our newsletter, which is uh, provided as a membership benefit, if you'd like to join Preservation Maryland quarterly. Uh, but when you get that, you're only getting, you know, sort of a snippet version of the story. We don't have, you know, pages and pages and pages to do an in-depth, you know, New Yorker style uh, article on something. Mm-hmm. And so the podcast gives us 25, 30, 35 minutes um, to go a little bit more in depth to talk sort of not just about the story, but the person behind the story and uh, how do we get there and the challenges associated with it. It's just sort of a more in-depth way to talk about these issues that are weighty and that they really do matter. And so who are some of the people that you're hoping to speak to? 
So we got funding, I should say, for the program, and you're probably going to bring that up, but we got funding for it from the National Park Service. And the grant funding that we received is to focus the podcast on the intersection of technology and preservation. So that really has sort of guided our direction as far as who we'll be bringing on to talk with us. And it really is an interesting area. And there's a lot of different ways that you can go when it comes to technology, particularly nowadays. There's just so much rapidly changing. Um, So, you know, we're going to have everyone on from underwater archaeologists to, you know, someone who operates a company that does um, really high quality professional drone work. Um, when it comes to historic resources and documenting historic and architectural and archaeological even um, resources with drones. So really sort of talking to the practitioners and the people who are involved in the field or maybe just involved in, in their, in the case of this person who runs the drone company, I mean, they probably wouldn't consider themselves first and foremost a preservationist, but the tool that they're using is aiding historic preservation today. So it's to go in depth and look at how exactly is technology? Is it changing it for the better? Um, You know, and I think we're going to have some future looking podcasts as well. The big question is how will driverless cars impact historic districts? Mm -hmm. We don't really know right now. And there could be some really positive things and there could be some terrible things that come out of that. Um, But I think it's important to start that dialogue and have an opportunity to talk about that. So we're going to be interviewing those kind of folks from many different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And something that I'd like to circle back to real quick that you mentioned, you might have people on who don't necessarily see themselves as preservationists first. Mm -hmm. This podcast seems like a really good way to make people think of themselves as preservationists, even if that's not the first word that they might use to describe themselves. Right. And I think that in, in, in a sense, what you're suggesting is something that Preservation Maryland prides itself on. Even though we have preservation in our title, you know, my job is not to, I mean, my job is partly, of course, to engage the people, sort of to preach to the choir, the people who who get it and have considered themselves preservationists for decades. But it's also to try and reach the people that perhaps don't consider themselves the preservationists, but are trying to save important places in their community or trying to preserve the memory of people who lived in, in their state. That's the kind of work that we see ourselves. And, and our job is to convince people that, hey, what you're doing actually is historic preservation. You may not call it that, but that's what you're doing. And, and preservation matters. See, it matters to you. So yeah, if we, can, if we can change a few minds by having them listen to these interviews and hear about what's going on in the field of preservation, then all the better. Mm-hmm. And so um, what are you most looking forward to in regards to PreserveCast? I think really from an organization perspective and even just a personal perspective, I love the idea that we're going to be able to bring our story to a potentially much wider, broader, more diverse audience. You know, the the power of the podcast is that you can reach people when they have time. Um, You can reach them when, you know, a lot of times they're in the car, they're commuting, they are sort of looking for some content, looking for some interesting stories. And so if we can inject a little bit of historic preservation into that and tell our story to that bigger audience, that's pretty exciting. You know, and I think it's important to explore the intersection of technology and preservation because it is changing so rapidly and it really is impacting the way that we do our work and the way that important historic places are protected and preserved. But just the idea of being able to tell our story to a bigger audience, I mean, what nonprofit wouldn't want the opportunity to talk to thousands of potentially new supporters and, and, and maybe if you're listening, potentially new donor? Mm-hmm. And even old supporters, too. And old supporters. Of course, we, we want to continue to talk. I wouldn't call them old, though, Ben. I would say, <laughs> I would say prior supporters. And sure. I don't think you should uh, 
characterize them that way. There are there are obviously young preservationists. Absolutely. As well. well, we're two, we're two of them sitting looking at each other right now, right? Right. Ben, as Ben and I sit here, we're both. I would say we can still call ourselves young, right? Well, I can call myself young. Okay, I understand what that meant. So, what is Preservation Maryland about? As I mentioned, we're an 85-year-old organization. We were formed back in uh, 1931. And the organization, which is headquartered in Baltimore, but has a a statewide focus and interest, is um, principally focused on saving what we call sort of the best of Maryland. Those places that are iconic, that matter, and also sort of the everyday, the mundane, the places that together make up the story of Maryland, whether that be you know, workers' housing, or whether that be, you know, an old dockyard. Collectively, those places tell the story of Maryland. So if there's a place left that has a story to tell, and the community finds value in it and thinks it matters, then we're going to find a way to try and help them to protect it. We do that in three sort of big ways. We do advocacy work, we do outreach and education, and we do some funding. And so our advocacy work could be everything from you know, sort of proactive advocacy, like legislation, to reactive, you know, someone comes up with a bad idea. Uh, You know, an example of that was um, basically Starbucks bought a property in Baltimore County earlier this year and said that they wanted to knock over an iconic historic diner. And we said, hey, you know what? That's a bad idea. That's sort of reactive uh, advocacy. On the outreach and education side, we run a statewide conference. Um, We do a lot of training throughout the year. We also have a big program called Six to Fix, where we identify six endangered, threatened historic sites every year and work with local groups to try and help turn the tide on those and help protect those historic places. And we have a a website, obviously, that has a a wealth of resources on it and has kind of been growing over the past few years at preservationmaryland.org. And then on the funding side, we run a a grant program, and we are about to be launching, uh, relaunching, I should say, because we had one before, a revolving fund, sort of a lending program for threatened historic properties to try and um, help them with rehab costs. Mm -hmm. So we really are kind of all across the board, and now we can add to that portfolio. Um, We also run a podcast, PreserveCast. So... Everybody who's going to come on to this podcast is mm-hmm. going to be asked this question. All right. And so I'm going to ask it of you. What's your favorite historic building in Maryland? So when it comes to historic buildings, I think I would, I would consider myself sort of a viewshed or a sightline junkie in the sense that I love getting a good view from a building. Uh, it's just, you know, if I, if I can get up to on the top of a building and, and get a really a nice bird's eye view of a historic area, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. So I would say the Maryland State House comes to mind as as a wonderful place, particularly if you can get up on top of that, um, which is sort of behind the scenes access, but have a pretty stunning view of Annapolis. And then, of course, in the Maryland State House, also you have the old Senate chamber, which was just recently restored. And it's there that George Washington resigns his commission as commander in chief of the Continental Army and returns back to private citizenship. And that story is one that, you know, taken in of itself, it just seems like it's a simple resignation. But really, it is the act of suggesting that there will be a different tone, a different way that things are going to be done in this new country, and that the military is going to play the military role and the civilian role is going to be superior to all of that. And Washington sort of refuses the crown. He will, no, he will not be a king, but rather he will return back to private citizenship. And ultimately, he's going to be elected president, but that's going to be up to the people to decide. And that is a defining moment and is a really special story 
particular to American history and exceptional in our history. And that's a story where when you go into that state house, you can stand in that room and you can stand exactly where Washington stood and sort of get a sense and, and a feel for that. So Maryland State House is a pretty pretty special place. So a place not just Maryland history, but national. I would say international. I mean, international significance. You think about the role that America has played as a democratically elected republic. I mean, that is, um, and that's a story that it starts in a lot of different places. But I think that we certainly can look to Annapolis during that time period and and remember that act of Washington and, and sort of the a standard that he set for the rest of his countrymen. I hope that everyone else's answers will be as exciting as yours. <laughs> yes, hope so. Uh, and so one more question. Okay. You, at the top of the show, right. you were talking about your, your ancestor that mm-hmm. fought in the Civil War. Do you think that you would have behaved similarly? To my bounty-jumping, law-breaking ancestor? I- exactly, yes. Uh, no. And I would say no, not just because that's good politics to say no, um, that I would not break federal law or martial law in this case. Uh, I would say no because of the dire consequences if I were captured. Because as you may or may not know, if you jump the bounty and uh, run away from the army, you know, you're away without leave, AWOL. In the Civil War, they wouldn't have called it AWOL, they would have called it being a deserter. Uh, if you were captured being a deserter, the penalty for that is death. Oh, and good, so, good idea there. Um, yeah, and, and particularly if we're talking about the same dollars involved and it was today, I don't think that's a, a good, you know, 25 bucks for a bounty. It's, I don't think I'd be willing to risk death for 25 Maybe a little bit more. We'll see. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> so this has been Nick Redding and Ben Israel on PreserveCast. If you enjoyed this episode... Stay tuned because we have an entire year's worth of content. We're going to be rolling out a new episode every week. You'll be able to download those directly on iTunes or from our website at preservationmaryland.org. Talk to you soon. You don't need to open a history book to find us. Available online from iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as our website, presmd.org. This is PreserveCast. This podcast was developed under a grant from the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, a unit of the National Park Service. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Milestones Heritage Area, and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the National Park Service or the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training. This week's episode was produced and engineered by Ben and Stephen Israel. Our executive producer is Aaron Markovich. Our theme music is performed by the band Pretty Gritty. You can learn more about them at their website, prettygrittymusic.com, on Facebook or on Twitter at PG underscore Pretty Gritty. To learn more about Preservation Maryland or this week's guest, visit preservationmaryland.org. While there, you can check out our blog and learn about what's current in historic preservation. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter at PreservationMD. And of course, a very special thank you to our listeners. Keep preserving.